the reason why people hire me is to find out what works. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash datastories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash datastories. It's a new data stories. So this time it's only me, no Enrico. Enrico is on vacations, but uh, I have a good uh, set of guests here, two very special guests. And what we want to discuss today is a topic that's um, to me is very close to my heart because it affects me every day. And it's about the actual practice and the business of doing data visualizations for other people. Like, how do you actually uh, manage that process? How do you find new projects? How do you um, go about uh, uh, figuring out what a client needs? And yeah, how do you come up with good end results? Like all these these practical considerations that, that go into that. And um, yeah, for that topic, I have two really special guests, two experts in the area. Uh, one is Jan-Willem Tulp. He's a freelance information designer from the Netherlands. Hi, Jan. Hi, hi Moritz. And uh, Maria Jabus, who we had on uh, a few dozens of episodes <laughs> before, <laughs> maybe. So it's a, it's been a few years, and he's now a. Uh, can you say what your job is? Creative director of data science and visualization at RGA in New York City. Exactly. And RGA is a big uh, company and uh, I especially invited the two of you because I was interested in this contrast. Like, how is it like to work as an individual solo freelancer versus Mahir now in a big company? Mahir, you also have some experience as a freelancer, but now you're sort of working in, in one of the big ships. And I'm really yes. interested in, <laughs> in what the differences are and maybe which type of things work well in one setting and which don't work so well in another setting and so on yeah so thanks so much uh, to coming on the show and yeah i'm really curious to hear about uh, how things work for you and um yeah so how do we start maybe we can talk about which types of projects you typically do and which types of projects you're looking for how that has evolved mm -hmm. maybe or where you want to steer like your your profile all all these uh, uh important questions jan maybe if you want to start Yeah, sure. Um, so the work that I do is um, I only do kind of uh, custom data visualizations. So the type of projects that I look for are um, uh, projects where I need to write code because that's what I do. And with this code, I create a custom visualization specifically for um, that particular situation. So. Um, that means that sometimes it's a little bit more artistic, sometimes really it's a kind of communication tool, and sometimes it's a, a really uh, serious visual analysis tool that's used internally in an organization. So um, <clears throat> those are the kind of projects that I do, and what I typically look for is that there sh should be 
enough challenge for me. So new things, enough complexity on the data side, on the design side, and, and things like that. And then, then a project is usually very interesting for me. Mm -hmm. And how do you acquire these projects? Do people typically come to you or do you have, uh, do you like reach out to, to potential clients? How, how does that work for you? Well, so far, uh, uh, clients reach out to me. Uh, which <laughs> which make me very uh, lucky, I guess. Um, yeah, I, sometimes I do reach out to clients myself, but that's basically because I, I would like to work with that particular client because I like what they do or I think they have an interesting data set or something like that. But most of the time, yeah, uh, more there's more clients coming to me than I can... Uh, work for actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i mean you're yeah. in the lucky position to have been doing this type of job for a few years now and you have a good reputation and a really nice portfolio so people know by now what you do and and so they can, right. can say right. oh we would like something like that too mahia how, how does that work for you like what types of projects are you doing with rga and and how do you get to do them well right now at rga obviously rga is a big agency and it's a global one there's offices everywhere and Uh, but the headquarters is in, in New York and, and our team is relatively small for the rest of the company. I mean, it's, it's a big team. We are about like 10, 11 people. Um, but the interesting thing for me, like the experience in the agency and doing data visualization, data science related stuff is, um, the acquisition of the work is completely different. So you don't have any, um, you know, identity online anymore. Like people don't really come to you because you are Jan or Moritz. Uh, they come to the agency and mm -hmm. the hustle aspect of like getting the, the work and getting the work done is a little bit different. Um, I think there is like two main channels of acquisition. The first channel is obviously with existing clients. Uh, there's already some clients, they do some other work with RGA and then we find an opportunity that, you know, they might need some help in the field of, uh, data science and visualization. So then we proactively approach them or, uh, they come to us, but not for our name, like for the other projects that we have done before. It's kind of similar to being a person in my opinion, but. RGA wins some awards and in different uh, big competitions um, around the world. So they see those type of work and hopefully they get inspired with them. And then they, they approach the RGA and the right people, they put them in contact with us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how, with how much knowledge, or how much information do clients approach you typically? And conversely, how will you figure out if a project is like worthwhile you know, pursuing or going deeper into like, what are your first, like, what's your strategy in this very first moments of, of contact in figuring out if, if something is, seems promising or not. Um, so I think this changed dramatically for me because when I was doing freelancing or working with small studios, um, we always wanted to explore the opportunity a little bit longer. Right now at RGA, I mean, there is like more concrete facts of business. So if it's not a good opportunity, unfortunately, we cannot spend so much time on it. I mean, mm -hmm. with this, what I mean is like a, a good commercial opportunity, obviously. Sometimes, you know, there is a, a few situations that clients, they have great ideas, but either they don't have the right data 
I mean, that's, I think, is a very common problem that we all uh -huh. experience. Sometimes mm -hmm. they just don't have data. I mean, and first you need the data. Um, or they don't have enough money. Um, and then, you know, in that case, we have to skip that project. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was freelancing, it was a little bit more organic, I would say. Like there was no like, you know, concrete business decision about uh, the scale and volume of the opportunity. It was more like, okay, let's see what they have and explore a little bit. Maybe we can do something with it. It was a little bit more organic. Now it's a little bit more process driven for me. And do you have like a fixed set of criteria, like a little checklist where you say like, okay, we need at least this type of budget. We need at least this type of commitments from the client. Or is it more a judgment call depending on how the concrete situation is? I would say there are three main domains. It's not a real checklist, like, you know, we sure, check yeah, things yeah, off, yeah. but... <laughs> but some things you're looking for, maybe, yeah? Yeah, I think the first thing is definitely the budget, because they're hiring a team of people, mm -hmm. and and the, and the team of specialists more than, like, you know, just hiring a regular team. So it, it comes with a price. Um, and then the second thing, so if they're completely out of the range, it's... To be honest, it's not very much possible to do something. Um, and then the second thing I think is we don't check about the data because, you know, <laughs> if you get in there, like it's, it's too complex. Like sometimes, you know, there's so many details. We believe in goodwill that, you know, we will find a way to work with their data sets. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you have a strong belief. <laughs> yeah, we have a strong it's belief. Religious, yes. I think. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can talk about the, that part, I think, later a little bit more in detail. Um, and I think the, the third, uh, sorry, the second thing is like uh, the setup. So mostly we have to integrate with the client folks, like, you know, tech people and um, designers, if there's any on the client side and business uh, alignment and stuff. So that is a little bit critical. Like if they ask all of our team to move somewhere else and work with them, obviously we cannot do that either or completely they don't have anyone who can run the project on the client side that's also not very ideal mm -hmm. um, and i think the third thing is what is in it for us right so obviously uh, we just don't want to do like not promising projects just because of it pays well mm -hmm. um, i think it's important criteria to develop the portfolio of the team and the company uh, even though that you know it is an established business uh, we should always keep in mind what we are doing and whether we can really so to say you know catch the spirit of the time right so yeah. i think these are three uh, domains that how we evaluate the business opportunity mm -hmm. how does that work for you Jan? like how how do you fish for information early what are you looking um, for? yeah i i do think that it is a little bit more organic um at the same time it's also um i do most of my projects alone i i do collaborate every now and then but there are quite a few projects that i do on my own which uh, automatically sets a few limitations so one of the things is my my own availability so uh, that's one thing that I try to figure out real soon. Uh, how soon do they want to have a project? Because otherwise it's not even uh, <laughs> useful to discuss any further if, if it's not possible. And the same goes for budget. And, and the same goes also for data. Because every, sometimes clients think you can create a data visualization without data. 
but yeah, that's not really possible. Of you course. can just plug it in in uh, the last minute. Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> just right before the deadline, you yeah, just plug yeah. in some data. Right? Are we exactly. gonna have a like yeah. a section for dirty tips and tricks at the end? Of <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but. Um, uh, but the data itself, that is something um, I would like to get a sense of r really soon. If it's possible, I would like to get a glimpse of the data um, just even, even before we sign the contract, if that's possible, just to get a sense of is it big, is it small, uh, what's the quality of the data, what type of dimensions are in the data set and things like that. So that it gives me a little bit of sense of the complexity. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, of course, what I have in mind themselves for a project? Do they want to have something interactive, uh, not interactive? Uh, uh, is it going to be uh, something that needs to communi communicate insights? Is it going to be a tool? Uh, um, well, things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there's, there's always, it's one of the phases in a project I enjoy the most, but it's also the most horrible because it's the one where, yeah, the whole thing sort of gets decided and you don't even know what it is and this is often like a real <laughs> catch-22 like you know the client says yeah, they want yeah. to have something interesting with data yeah so but they don't know exactly the data they don't know exactly what they need but still they want a commitment you want a commitment from them and you know it, it's always this this very strange situation a project that can go horribly wrong or can like set the whole project right yeah. on the the right track and it's this sort of thing like yeah in order to figure out what to do we would have to have we would have to work with the data already, but right. before we can start working, we should have a contract, right? So right. How, how do you deal with this, this whole situation, this black art of pricing and scoping and <laughs> how to get something going, you know, and, and at the same time, making sure you're getting paid for your work. Like, do you sometimes right. just work for free until you know what the project is like? Or do you more have a fixed project scope and say like, I want, amount x and then you figure out what to put into that box with amount x later on what, what's your usual uh, process there or does it differ every time i, I think that's the most interesting uh question here well it is indeed uh <laughs> very interesting because yeah uh, you don't know in advance what the end result will be yeah. and and also if it's going to work out with the data and, and things like that so that that is really tricky but uh, in general um, I don't think I I start working on a project before I have a contract. Um, it's it's also my experience that um, sometimes, um, even though you've seen a glimpse of the data, you may have some idea of what may work. But once you start working with the actual data or the full data set, and it turns out. Uh, well, uh, there's too much overlap for this idea we had in mind or whatever. So most of the time, it, it, your initial ideas, they can work partially at best. Uh, and so I think that, that part of, of uh, the reason why people hire me is to find out what, what works. And um, it really depends on the client and the size of the project. If, if, I, if we decide just for small projects, for instance, and if I worked uh, with a client for several times, then, then we can say, okay, this project, uh, uh, maybe uh, for this amount, we can do this. And, and I'm sure that, that we can do it. Uh, but there, there are also projects where there's much more uncertainty, and then I, or a much bigger project, for instance, and then I try to uh, have several um, phases of a project where 
in in many cases you also you also um, they sometimes pay for several phases. So uh, one of the things uh, you typically want to do uh, in the first stages of a project is find out what's inside a data set and what's the potential for a visualization. And uh, sometimes, luckily not most of the time, but sometimes you come to the conclusion this is not going to work. And then sometimes the project stops because yeah, you just cannot make things up. It, it, a visualization is driven by the data. So if it if there's no data, yeah, it just stops. Um, but after that, uh, for larger projects, I, uh, there's still some uncertainty what the end result will be because you can come up with different uh, ways to visualize the same data set. And so what I always emphasize in initial talks is that for every project, I need to have some room to play around with the data and try things out, and then we can have revisions and we can have uh, discuss the results, and then we establish a basic concept that may work, and then, uh, well, that will turn into the end result. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But do you usually, like you say, you would price a first exploration and design phase, and then maybe price the rest later? But usually, the clients they will still want to have. In my experience, they often want to have a fixed number of fairly early because they need to sell that in-house and reserve the budget and and are not so comfortable with like too much uh, insecurity there right 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 that's usually the case but uh, uh, what we actually will do for for a part of the project that will be specified later yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense yeah. Mahia, how does how do you approach that that these early project phases i think it's pretty similar what Dian uh, described obviously like there's more people involved and the process is a little bit more intricate in some details because like you know company to company engagement especially like if the organizations are big and if they're working for the first time it can really turn into a nightmare of paper pushing yeah um, <laughs> like seriously like it can take months like just to just to start talking right. about the contract, you have to sign another agreement and stuff. <laughs> Set anyway. up five meetings, sign <laughs> yeah. two NDAs, and yeah. right. um, so and then the whole team has changed in the meantime. And obviously, people <laughs> resign and they get yeah. the and gets sold off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, but you know, once you either you are good with that bureaucracy or once you can you know get away with it with with the right lawyers and and whoever um we i'm i'm quite lucky because we also have like very skilled producers they know like this domain of business uh, so i usually work with them because um the creative input comes from me like the overall uh, project vision and like what we can do and what is the opportunity here and like how we can uh, basically align with the client uh, but the business side also is very much supported and run by the producers so but in a way that you know we do something fairly similar to what Jan uh, just described we do a discovery phase most of the time so this discovery phase is technically helping us to define a couple of things uh, we define the business objective which i believe is very critical because every client actually mm -hmm. has a business objective that's the reason why they spend money on this thing if right. we don't understand their objective well enough then we we most likely can fail so we should avoid Or that, you don't like, even know if you have failed or have, you know, or yeah, if you exactly. have been successful, is, if you don't know what yeah. the goal was, right? Yeah. yeah, what is the definition of success, right? So we want yeah. to understand that a little bit better. You cannot just understand it over a simple phone call or like just some emails. Yeah. Um, the second thing, like how we are going to get this data, 
Like um, it might be sometimes just like a file or a series of flat files and whatever, but sometimes they have all these um, big and antiquated systems and, uh, you know, Oracle systems running into SAP systems, mm -hmm. giving an output of .NET frameworks and whatever, right? So <laughs> <laughs> like it can be a big mess of cables all around. So uh, we should mm -hmm. understand that we should understand IT integration points of it. And also we want to just like, you know, basically give them our initial creative strategy. This is what we would do with this uh, data or in this project. What do you think about this? Like what would be your reaction to this? And then we also tie all these things into an execution approach, which is more like a kind of more detailed project plan for the execution phase. Uh, so they know what they're going to buy. Uh, and this is the ideal scenario, right? So mm. let's now talk about the reality. <laughs> 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 I just realized it sounds so good, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very orderly. <laughs> I'm impressed, yeah. So <laughs> what happens most of the time, Moritz, is as you just said. So clients, they, they have their own worlds and they have their own problems going on in their own world. So what this means is sometimes they have a bulk amount of money and they just want to spend this money on that particular business objective by doing data visualization or some data-driven art or data-driven platform whatever they need and they don't like this phased approach because it's it opens them up to a lot of risks and you know they might realize at the end of discovery it's like you know five million dollars more than that what they originally told and that's a nightmare mm -hmm. because they already spent some money they're not mm -hmm. gonna uh, get anything at the end because they don't uh, have enough so what we do is i mean we have a very frank and honest conversation and we con we try to convince them that this is the right approach also for them because um not because of any you know i think arrogance or anything but if, if it's not just going to work, it's not going to work anyway. So you also need to spend some time and money to understand whether your project is a really realistic and grounded idea or is just a dream, right? Mm -hmm. um, so mostly it works, I would say. Sometimes, obviously, some clients, they have their own deadlines and like, you know, fiscal years and everything. Then we, we try to make it work. I think that's where the hustling comes into play. Um, you, you take some uh, risks and you say in goodwill uh, we can make this work and yeah. Yeah. What, what we do usually in those cases we give them a list of potential risks like what might happen okay we are signing this you know basically combined phases of scope with you and this is completely unknown as of today what's going to happen right you know at the end of the project so these are the potential risks based on our experience in such mm -hmm. projects mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i think client relationship is pretty critical i also know this from my freelancing years you know i think working with someone is also getting to know them a little bit right so some clients they're always late with emails some clients you know yeah. they're always <laughs> very prompt with emails some of them are more aggressive some of them like you to be more proactive so if we have a relationship with that particular client uh, we also can like you know optimize these uh, scoping and budgeting and signing contracts based on that relationship mm -hmm. yeah that's a huge part is like building this trusted relationship and as you said, it's also something I realized quite late is that, um, well, the client is not a black box, but the people you are working with, 
they are also working again inside their company and need to present your results to somebody else. And right. if right. you realize that, then you can decide to become their ally also and say like, you know what, we are going to help each other succeeding here, right? Yeah. And I deliver something to you that helps you succeed in-house. Right. And you help me do my job really well. And if that works out, then then you have a strong combo. But yeah, it took me a while to realize. <laughs> yeah. Like like they say in the US, everybody has a boss. Exactly. Like that person has a boss too. So yeah. everybody yeah. needs to explain to to someone like why and how they spend this money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah, that, that's all very interesting. And that's all nobody teaches you at school anywhere. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's true. But to me, um, I, I don't want to sound like so business oriented, but it is very critical. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I see that my role and obviously our producer's role to bring a good and well-funded project to the team. So a team can do good work, right? So yeah. I, It is very critical if we don't pay attention to that initial scoping and like, you know, how much funding we can get and what this project is going to be, then it can be a very unpleasant experience for everyone involved, like Mm -hmm. including client, including yourself and the team and everyone. Yeah. No, it's absolute basis for for anything is is to have a good setup and a good personal relationship and also straightforward um, communication. This is a good time to take a little break and talk about our sponsor this week, Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de slash data stories. And this week, we would like to feature a special initiative from Click. You might know the website Circle of Blue. It's a website dedicated to relevant, reliable, and actionable on-the-ground information about the world's resource crisis. And Click has partnered with them in order to fulfill a multi-year commitment to the Clinton Global Initiative to study water scarcity through analyzing California groundwater data. And with the help of Columbia Water Center, University of California Irvine, Pacific Institute and Twitter, they have built a couple of visualizations and dashboards around that important topic. For instance, one shows how the price of water has risen over the last seven years in 30 cities in the United States. Actually, the average price climbed 48% since 2010. So you might want to check out uh, your city and see how the price has developed there. Try it out for yourself on the Circle of Blue website. The link is in the show notes. And make sure to also try out ClickSense for free at click.de slash data stories. That's Q-L-I-K dot D-E slash data stories. And now back to the show. Let's come to a few like typical problems or challenges, let's say, uh, along the way. So one we mentioned already is the data is coming soon syndrome. And then when the data arrives two months late, it's totally different and super flaky and <laughs> it does not support what your mock-ups say like how do you deal with this situation that often the, the data is 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 yeah just arrives late and, and is maybe in contradiction to anything else anybody has told you well for me i i really try to avoid this situation <laughs> That's <a> good actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah to be honest, uh, I always uh, emphasize early in the, in the process that I 
would like to work with the actual data, not just a part of it or, or mock-up data or something. It's, I, I would like to work with the final results. So that's, uh, yeah. And, and also not making designs and sketches uh, uh, before I actually get started. I, 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 yeah, I just need to have data to get started. And otherwise, uh, we, I think it's, it's um, much better way to spend your time if you postpone the project. Once you have the data, then working on a project which is all based on assumption and eventually will not work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Morris, I think you were at the presentation uh, during Visualized because that's like, you know, I think is the first uh, real public presentation of mm -hmm. our team in the scene yep. of uh, data visualization. And we started our presentation by saying that data is the brief. And that's our motto in mm -hmm. the agency with the clients and everyone. Um, so I think in reality, we also try to avoid definitely like we, and, and I think it's getting much better. Like in the former times, I remember like this coming soon syndrome is, it was a really, <laughs> really permanent thing. Almost every project. It's because, a running gag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think, I think partly it was related to the IT structures of the, the systems of clients, like, you know, there were, there were always some IT people blocking the data or whatever. Uh, it's getting better, but sometimes we still don't have uh, the data timely enough. Um, so we, I mean, personally, I started developing a lot of strategies against that uh, before, even before RGA. So one thing that I'm, I'm trying to do more and more is uh, holding client workshops to talk about the structure of the data. This still um, doesn't help to the situation if the structure at the end is completely different. Obviously, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's not very helpful, but, but it helps to a degree, you know, like, so you can imagine, I mean, if you really think truly about it, right? So there is maybe, you know, I just skip like, you know, the most radical or extraordinary data sets. But in terms of the nature of data, there is always like, you know, certain things that you can feel about it. I think it's almost like working with a material for some years, right? We, I think we all share similar feelings, maybe mm -hmm. like, you know, there's some number ranges, there's some maybe images coming <laughs> from somewhere. So yeah. you can, you can start like dreaming about what will come uh, and basically simulate on what you dream. So that's like one one uh, very uh, useful tactic we try to uh, put in place in some projects. Will you do um, like mood boards or just collect like visual references? Like here's a crazy map. Here's another crazy map. Here's a network. <laughs> this type of thing, or? well, that that has been also done. But uh, what I'm saying is more like you know seriously simulating data from scratch. Uh -huh. Like being realistic Actually, about like, like yeah, the yeah. thresholds and the distribution and ranges yeah. and creating a, a, a solid structure, whether if it's a JSON structure or whatever we need and just simulating it. It's not mm -hmm. easy and it can be really hairy, like in, in certain cases, uh, but I've seen yeah. sometimes it works well. So well, sometimes maybe you find com comparable public data sources, right? So uh, exactly. like anything's correlated with population density and GDP anyway. So <laughs> you could also just visualize that for the time being. <laughs> exactly. So another thing that I, I like to mention, like this is something that I started to observe more and more too. If the data is uh, like really critical for the business, then clients, even though that technically it's possible, they don't want to share. And 
I cannot blame them because, you know, I don't know, some data sets, I think they can be very critical for the business mm. and then they need like, you know, like so many approvals from so many different departments, even just to send a sample of that data. Yeah. Um, so in that case, we never ask for the full data set because, you know, you can, I don't know, you can impact their stock market value or something, right? So it if could you also be too large sometimes, right? Uh, that's another you know, thing. That's, you can't uh, really have right. the full data set yeah. uh, anyway. So yeah. I, I feel like in our industry, we should develop better strategies, like how to deal with this uh, in the future too. Like I, we are doing a little bit ad hoc tactical stuff, but uh, what is a better way to do data visualization without the data? I think it's a great question. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. What, what are some typical... So I feel there's some things that some clients always want, but that are super hard to do and like, you know, make the whole project 10 times more expensive. And and sometimes there's like really elegant solutions, you know, to, to do something almost as good with much simpler means like did you have any situations like this or do you have a few of yeah a few like red flags where clients says i don't know real-time dashboard or something where you say like yeah does it need to be a dashboard does it need to be real time something like this real time yeah, yeah. yeah. like, like what is real time anyways is that like yeah to the millisecond or daily <laughs> updates yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and how about you like are there some things everybody wants where you say like why, why does everybody want that i don't get it um Or let's say the client comes to you and says, like, I want this huge thing, but I have only a small budget. Like, how how could how can you make it work? Well, in, in that case, yeah, yeah. If, if you want to, well, in that case, it really comes down to, uh, yeah, to to a good discussion because you have to strip down the concept they have in mind. Either use smaller data set or uh, reduce the functionality or uh, less interactivity or something like that, and. Um, Yeah, I, I guess it, it comes down to something like this. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I feel it's often like they want something very software-y and with a CMS and connected to live data and in 10 languages. And this actually costs like 95% suddenly of the project, right? And <laughs> right. And then if you tell them, well, you're building a thing that maybe five people look at once per month, we could do a really nice PDF report or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Spend the right. rest of the money somewhere else, you know? So sometimes I feel it's yeah. also like being being smart about, yeah, are we talking yeah. about the right thing here, actually? I, I, I don't know if, if I have that many requests for projects that have a that also involve developing a very large backend right. yeah. side. Yeah. Uh, so, so people usually approach you with right-sized projects already in a sense that they see what you do and then they, they have a sense of, yeah, my type of project. Yeah, might more fit or less. Or, or sometimes um, on the client side, uh, they also have developers. And, and for instance, there, there was uh, sometimes I work on a project where, uh, uh, and that's actually kind of, I good situation where um, uh, there, the data is in a database, but um, for the visualization specifically, the data is not accessible yet, but on the client side, there's someone uh, working to develop an API specifically for the visualization. So then you collaborate a lot and then you can uh, discuss on what we should build and what we should not build. And that's actually quite a, a good situation, I think, because then yeah, it becomes something specifically for the visualization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe moving on a bit from the the commissioning situation. I mean, one other strategy to escape this whole conundrum is to do more 
self-commissioned work or like build an app yourself right. that you will sell, right. you know, right. or like do something like self-initiated. Uh, is this something I know, Jan, you have been experimenting with, um, for instance, like setting up a certain corporate data art format where you say like, this right. is a certain right. type of thing I can do. Uh, this is something I offer. And then people can approach you already and say like, yeah, I would like to have one of these, <laughs> you know, um, how is this working out? Is this like complementing your usual business? Is it, um, could it be a whole business at some point? Um, and in general, how do you balance? Because I feel it's important to do also self initiated projects from time to time. How do you balance that with the more, um, uh, inbox driven approach? <laughs> Right. Uh, well, I, I think well, first there are two things. So you have the the corporate data art thing. That's that's really something I offer separately uh, besides the regular projects that I do. And I must admit that I, that I didn't uh, uh, <laughs> recently give it a lot of effort uh, with regards to marketing after the initial launch. So it's it's a little bit quiet. There's one potential client now who's interested in this. Uh, but the idea came from one of my first projects that I did for Nielsen. And uh, basically what they wanted was uh, visualizations based on actual data, but it had to be just nice looking pictures so that they could use this in their brochures um, as a kind of illustration and you didn't have to see what it was about. So, uh, so and I really enjoyed this project. So I built a tool for myself, which allowed me to explore the data set. And then once I, and with several uh, uh, options, I could influence the, the appearance of the, the visualization. And then once I, I had something that I thought looked nice, I could generate a PDF. And so th this way I generated a whole lot of PDFs and we discussed what worked and things like that. So it was a really great and fun project. And it, it was not about communicating insights, but creating nice images. And so that's where the idea came from. So I started setting this up and I launched this. And uh, after <laughs> some very nice words from people, it didn't really turn, out, turn into actual projects yet. Um, but the other thing is uh, doing self-initiated projects and things like that. And, and I, I too think that is very, very important. Um, it's, um, uh, personally, for instance, I, I don't really go to trainings or, or things like that. So one of the things that I really like about it is that it, uh, it's an opportunity to learn new things, to try things out, to learn new technologies. And, and I, I think that's very important because especially if you do something with technology, it, it, developments are so fast that you have, you, you just have to spend time in keeping up and learning new things. Uh, the other thing is that, um, although I really like doing client projects, uh, clients do set some limitations on what you should be doing. And doing personal projects allow, allows you to do, to set your own limits and constraints and challenges and things like that. And, uh, it's just complete freedom. And yeah, uh, I've, I've been building a list of ideas, which is, uh, uh, very long by now, and I have way too little time to do all of them. But uh, maybe you need to pay some people. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But uh, yeah, it's it's really great fun to do. And also, uh, what I do notice myself is that uh, some of these uh, self-initiated projects they they do get a lot of exposure so um you can put it in your portfolio and, mm -hmm. and people can see it and it, it could be another way to attract clients so yeah all in all i think it's uh, very good and important to work on those kind of projects and actually uh 
make some time to do mm-hmm. it. Mahia, how do you handle that in the agency? Do you have time for that at all? Or is no, that a weekend thing? No, definitely yeah. not. So <laughs> this is one thing that I, I definitely miss a lot. Uh, and, you know, I think most of the people in the agency world or like working in large organizations, uh, this is maybe one thing that makes them to think about like, you know, what they do, like, and whether they want to keep doing this because we don't have time like to do anything more experimental or, you know, like something that we can just try and figure out or test something new. What we, what, what I do personally, and my team is very flexible and agile in that regard. We try to embed those, um, experiments into projects, right? Right. So, yeah. um, we, we basically, even the client is not asking us. Maybe this also relates to the previous question that you asked. Even that they don't ask like to do something very difficult. We always try to convince them we should do something difficult in that project. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so we can try, right? So we can push the bar a little bit higher. Otherwise, you know, it will turn into a kind of just a typical service business. Then the client comes and then they, they know what they want. You just do the, you, you are being the hands of the client and that's it. Um, yeah. But we definitely uh, try that in real projects. And sometimes trying in the real projects uh, brings a lot of learning experience, a lot of failure, which I believe is good uh, because uh, you learn with the clients. Sometimes, you know, you should understand that the time that you spend on something that nobody's asked you to do is should be limited. Let's say it like that. Right. Uh, but I think, I think learning is, is a big part of what we do, uh, in many fronts and it's becoming very difficult to follow every front because I think, you know, like if you're a web designer or if you are a print related creative, there is a field, I believe there's a lot of things going on in those fields too, but it is somewhat, you know, focused. What we are trying to do, in my opinion, is these platforms, and it is evolved into platforms by the years. Everything is connected. There's a lot of, you know, inbound data traffic and then visualization by itself is a different domain. Like how people perceive visualizations is another domain. Like standard rules of design for screen is changing every day. Frameworks are completely a different world. You know, like I'm, <laughs> it's I'm a sometimes, jungle out there. <laughs> yeah, it is jungle. And I, I, I'm trying to basically, so to say, like, you know, get the signal from the noise and I'm miserably failing sometimes on Twitter, (laughs) but, um, I think it's another challenge that, uh, that comes with the learning and trying to learn new Mm -hmm. things. But, but I can also totally support this notion of doing self-commissioned work and really making space for it. As you say, you build reputation, you build a repertoire of things you can suddenly use in a project, you know. Sometimes you need something you, you, you need to pull out of a hat, basically, you know, because it's like, it's a difficult situation, time is tight. If you don't have a few things that you can somehow conjure up, <laughs> then you're in trouble. Yeah. And lastly, you can also explore what else you could do, right? Because if you let's say you're always booked for a certain type of visualization and you always have the technical role or something like this, right? You will never, and you think like, ah, oh, I, I might be good at concept or design as well. You know, you will only find out if you actually do it in, in your own projects, I think. And so, right. yeah. Or if you think like, ah, oh, I'd like to go more into data science. How do I do that? Well, you can do a few data science projects, <laughs> but you yeah. need to make space for that, right. of course. Yeah. 
I think it's also important and sometimes difficult to explain what this thing is still. I mean, there's a lot of like, you guys are doing a great post podcast for several years. There's amazing blogs and, you know, columns and articles mm. written about the field, but some clients, they still like, you know, they're having difficulties to imagine what data science will deliver or what data visualization is going right. to be. So it's always good to show um, some examples and some previous work. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, we need to wrap up soon. Time flies as usual, but I have, uh, <laughs> I think I have two more questions for both of us. So the first one is to Jan, why, so if somebody just, let's say, graduated data with school, yeah, <laughs> if it exists, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right. why should they become a freelancer? Like what are the advantages of being a freelancer? Maybe Mahir, maybe you can pitch the agency situation, like what makes working in an agency really cool? <laughs> That's a Jan, nice Jan, question. you want to start? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and then I will give scores, of course. Yeah. Uh, what, what, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what I personally really love the most and actually um, maybe even more than doing the work itself is, is, is freedom uh, to do what I want, not having a boss telling me what to do. Uh, and so um, this freelancing work also leads to a lot of diversity and variety. So uh, right now I also have the workshops, uh, uh, sometimes uh, you, your work uh, gets published in books or magazines, and then you talk at a conference. And so there's a lot of a lot of uh, variety, and and you can all decide by yourself what you want to do. Uh, and I think that's absolutely the the greatest thing about being a freelancer. And yeah, obviously data visualization itself is is great. But I, yeah, that's the same for yeah. me. Yeah. So that <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Freedom, so the freedom, freedom, absolutely, the main, absolutely. main motivation yeah, for absolutely. you. Yeah. Mahia, how how can you counter that? I think agency comes with two things. The first thing is the team. Um, I'm, I'm sure we all experience that, you know, sometimes working with other people is, is a really good experience. There are like, you know, some days in projects that you really need someone <laughs> holding your hand <laughs> and <laughs> telling that everything is going to be fine. Uh, that's really right. important. And obviously you need a good team. I can't talk on behalf of all the agency life, but I think we yeah. have a great team at RGA. Uh, and the second nice. thing is I realize certain projects is only comes to certain size of companies that's um, true like and and this is a reality and i think it's it has a lot to do with legal issues it has a lot to do with like you know trust and relationship and so on and so on so some projects as a freelancer i never had the chance to get a hold on uh, but in the right. agency, they come to you and they say, we really respect your agency, maybe not because of the work our team did, but some other work. And we have a great relationship. So this is a very special project for us and we want to do it with you. So I think that experience is valuable. Yeah. Maybe not for a lifetime, right. but, you know, it is interesting to see <laughs> um, that special projects and working with those special teams on the client side. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Did that's I convincing too. Yeah, so yeah, I would say yes. yeah, there's yeah. something to both arguments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's I tend to, to lean on the freelance side, but that's my personal bias, of course. Yeah. And the very final question. So in case, you have, do you have any advice for people just getting started out? Like what is the thing you wish somebody had told you before you got into this whole mess? I th Well, I, I think... Uh, 
the most important thing is just to practice and to get experience if you want to become good at this. Mm -hmm. Because you, you can read a lot of books or do trainings or whatever, but uh, uh, if you don't practice it yourself, uh, yeah, it's really hard to become very good mm -hmm. at it. So I think that's, that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And also not just practicing database, but also practicing doing a project, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just getting experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so not everything can be handled through books and checklists, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I guess so. <laughs> Mahia, how about you? Do, do you have any tips? I agree. I think the the tip, maybe two tips. The first tip is uh, people. Like we do business with other people. Personalities are important. You know, their work style is important. Their work ethics are important. Even if it's a data visualization work, maybe it's not so much different than, you know, doing a restaurant business or doing any other service business, right? So personalities. And then the second thing is this, you know, even if you graduated from the business school, I think certain aspects of the business can only be practiced in real life, like that, you know, hustling or when the scope is just, you know, somewhere in between, you have a gut feeling and you follow it and sometimes you fail, sometimes you don't. Th those kind of things can only uh, learn by practice. And it's not only about, it comes, you know, to a point that it's not only about data visualization. This is a business and, you know, you should also practice the other sides of the business as well. Mm -hmm. And take them serious as well, right? So that's something I, I learned also totally. over the years. It's like, yeah, th this is all part of the whole package. As you say, the whole people aspect, the whole planning aspect, right. the communications. Right. Yeah. And suddenly you realize, well, I only think, well, a small percentage of time about the colors or if I use like an area chart or a line chart here. <laughs> so. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go yeah, it's super area. interesting. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I think people can reach you on Twitter. So we will put your Twitter handles in the blog post. So if you have questions uh, for Jan and Ma here beyond what we discussed, just ping them. They, they will gladly answer, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> and uh, thanks so much again, guys, for coming on the show and uh, hope to see you in person soon. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. If you can spend a couple of minutes reading us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're of course on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash datastoriespodcast, all in one word. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage datastory.es and look for the link that you find on the bottom in the footer. So one last thing that we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want to us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for us. And that's all for now. See you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at 
click.de/datastories that's q l i k.de/datastories